Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Science Conference. We are here to witness an historic event. We have, I think, 11,000 people, attendees, coming to learn more about psychedelic and their benefits and therapeutic use. We're here for the next three days intensely, speaking to many leaders in the space and bringing you so much more news and updates. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations. So good to have you here and so good to have Rick Barnett. From, he's a clinical psychologist from and is also the co-founder of the Psychedelic Society of Vermont. Welcome, Rick. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. Of course. It's such a such pleasure on our side because it's been a overwhelmingly beautiful experience, this conference. And um, before we begin and dive in, what brings you to the conference? Well, uh, it's a historic moment in psychedelic history to have 11, 12,000 people gathered in one place, all very interested in various aspects of the psychedelic world, uh, whether it's policy or clinical or uh, personal use, recreation. Uh, it's just a, it's an overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly significant time in the history of psychedelics. And so to be here was really special for me. I'm also a speaker this afternoon to to help moderate a panel on addiction, psychedelics, and recovery, uh, which is why I think you, you, we met up earlier and, and asked me to be on the show to talk about, uh, talk about that subject, addiction, psychedelics, and recovery. So I, I am somebody who's a, a clinical psychologist and addiction specialist, and uh, you know the whole continuum of recognizing addiction, treating addiction, and recovering from addiction is something that has a lot of, a lot of potential when it comes to psychedelics. So I'm happy to be here and, and talk more about that. So wonderful. And that's exactly why I wanted to speak with you. And so the addiction and recovery and psychedelics, they're kind of like a little bit of a sensitive area. Um, we get a lot of people emailing us, asking us, isn't it addictive in itself anyway? How does it work? How does it look like in the practical real life scenario? because those people are trying to recover from addiction now could develop an addiction to the psychedelic medicines. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in 2019, I went to a talk, it was right after Michael Pollan released his book, How to Change Your Mind. <coughs> there was Michael Pollan and Matt Johnson from Johns Hopkins University. They were up on stage at a psychology conference and they were talking about the anti-addictive properties of psychedelics. And you know, as a person in recovery from addiction myself and somebody who's you know, worked with people with all kinds of addictions. I did stand up at the mic and I asked the question, I was like, are you sure they're anti-addictive? Can't people get addicted to any kind of uh, experience, whether it's retail addiction, gambling addiction, food addiction? And they said, you know, no, these are really anti-addictive properties. There are a small, small percentage of people who can really get addicted to anything, even psychedelics. But psychedelics do have a nuance and a difference in that they produce an experience that greatly disrupts various mental, emotional, social, spiritual processes that can lend themselves to uh, opening up a pathway towards long-term healthy freedom from addictions. 
So it's really interesting. Yes, a small percentage of people could develop a problem with overusing psychedelics or using them in an unhealthy way. But by far, most people who use psychedelics will describe them as being anti-addictive. They don't carry the same addictive potential as some other substances. And they seem to show tremendous promise, both in the research and from my personal experience with hundreds of people in recovery from addiction using psychedelics with intention to support their recovery processes. So it's really not like swapping one drug for another. That's sometimes also a criticism. Oh, you're just swapping one addiction for another or you one drug for another. And that's really not the case with psychedelics. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. So what is the overarching, um, you know, aspect of like, for me, I've always uh, thought about the medicine. If it's done properly in a community setting with accountability and, um, you know, some maturity can even, do you think it's, it can even help those who have the tendency to, to be addictive or addicted to the medicine? Because what, what, what this differentiates um, someone who swaps one thing to another as opposed to actually using them to recover. Right, exactly. Yeah, there are, there, that, that is a very important piece. The set and setting matter. The, 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 the way in which you use these substances, if done with intention, uh, can be something that uh, maybe prevents an addictive process from unfolding. Uh, can interrupt an addictive process. Uh, you know, I think, you know, even using psychedelics in a fun and recreational way, uh, I don't like the word recreational because it has a negative connotation, but a, ce a celebratory way to celebrate life, to be engaged with life in, in new and fun ways uh, with, with the experience of a psychedelic on board in your system, that can be a healthy, fun process. And it doesn't have to mean that somebody's using it to escape or avoid or somehow change their reality in a negative way. It can be a, it can be a positive thing. And I think with the appropriate community and support, like you said, accountability, uh, it's, a, it's a very important tool in, you know, just living one's life in a healthy, healthy way and also helping support a recovery process if somebody struggles with an addict, addictive tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, in my understanding, I always thought people are addictive because they're isolated, they're alone. They're lonely. They don't have a support system, ecosystem. They don't have all these resources and access to connection, mm -hmm. right? And and that's kind of breeds the addictive sides of any drugs, or like you said, even retail and gambling, anything that eases the the chaos inside. Mm -hmm. So, and I, that's why I love the fellowship. I love the the community aspect and the accountability because I have a lovely friend in the UK. She always reinforces that it's um, it's the community, the holding, people finding safe spaces, and then the medicine. It's not never about the medicine first. It's all about creating the foundation, the infrastructure, and the community holding, right? Yeah, yeah. Community and fellowship is so important. So we have a whole lineage we know in the recovery community uh, based in the 12-step model. So Alcoholics Anonymous founded in 1935 and, and sort of uh, blossoming into 200 or 220 some odd different 12-step fellowships, whether it's Codependence Anonymous, Food Addiction Anonymous, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, all these different anonymous meetings. And one of the, there's several overlapping uh, concepts there and experiences for people who resonate with that approach and that is community and fellowship a safe container where you can share your experience strength and hope with each other but also there's um there are spiritual principles and there are 
practical principles. And all of these things that we find in a 12-step lineage are also found in elements of psychedelic experience, psychedelic experiences. So the, the harmony I've seen between people who use psychedelics intentionally for the purposes of personal growth, exploration, to treat trauma, to treat uh, depression, anxiety, to treat addiction, can find a community in a 12-step fellowship that doesn't have to be based on a specific drug or addictive behavior, but just the principles of the sort of the rudimentary essential principles found in 12-step recovery and found in a lot of other places, frankly, combined with the fellowship, combined with the community, it's a safe space to share experiences and support an ongoing recovery process. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to, to watch unfold over the last uh, three or four years. It's really mostly an online community called Psychedelics and Recovery. And uh, there are also in-person meetings uh, popping up all over the place now. But it's, it's really amazing to see how so many different fellowships, so many different people with different addictions, with different trauma and mental health issues, and also just personalities come together under one beautiful umbrella to share their experience to help support a recovery process. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Amazing. That's brilliant. I'm really appreciating the work you guys are doing. Um, a question popped up. Um, can, can someone with a mild, I don't know if what a mild addictive behavior or addiction is, as opposed to a really severe, um, real codependent, detrimental, life-threatening type of, can they be under the same roof? Can, can it hold all different walks of life from different kind of codependencies? Yes, I think so. I think that, you know, it is tricky when you think about the, the active hardcore addiction phase, whether that's you're deep in your gambling addiction or deep in your sex addiction or deep in your alcohol or drug addiction, you know, how do you sort of bring somebody to the point where like, hey, use this drug, have this experience and you can do this. It's going to help shift this. You know, maybe some people need to find a traditional path to recovery for the first week or two or month or two or maybe even year or two before they venture into using a psychedelic experience. However, some people find that just stumbling across uh, being called to an ayahuasca ceremony or a 5-MeO-DMT experience or a high-dose psilocybin journey, even if they're in the midst of their active addiction, that can actually allow some space and time to reflect very differently on what what their lifestyle has become. So it's really kind of an interesting thing. You know, people come into community in uh, psychedelics and recovery from all different phases, whether it's mild addiction, uh, maybe thinking they have a, uh, they come from a family of addicts and they want to prevent uh, becoming addicted or they're in their active addiction, or they've been sober in a traditional recovery program for 10, 20, 30 years. And they are interested in exploring the use of psychedelics to continue their healing journey. So it's really a, a wonderful place. And I don't know, honestly, Susan, how it works. It's so amazing, but people are able to come together and, and talk about what, whatever path they're on, whatever part of their journey they're on, they can come and find connection. And like you said earlier, it's about connection uh, to other people who are on the same path. Yes, that's kind of been my experience. I always thought the connection first, the foundation, and then community, and then the medicine. It's like never about the medicine. I know we are talking more and spreading the word about the psychedelic medicines, but I know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more work that goes beyond. And 
I was going to ask, do you also get people actually have partners or parents or children, siblings who are really in the thick of the addiction and they're coming, they're not addicted themselves, but they're coming in to help them. Yeah. Do you get those kind of people? Yeah, I think that's a little bit more uncommon. But for example, there are people in Al-Anon, which is the sister program to Alcoholics Anonymous or um, Essanon is the, the sex addiction fellowship for family members. So people, baby, who aren't even affiliated with it, I'm sorry, yeah, even not even affiliated with a 12-step program coming in, it's like, I heard about psychedelics and recovery. I'm worried about my partner, my son, my husband, my, my wife. Uh, I want to learn about how psychedelics can help people. And I want to find a community where I can understand how this could be helpful in open meetings some some of our meetings are uh, some of those meetings i think are closed uh so that not anybody can come in right uh, just doing research or wanting to find out about it but if if they have an interest in uh seeing how psychedelics can help them or help their family member recover from an addiction they're absolutely welcome under the same umbrella yeah that's wonderful because that's been a theme um that i'm observing especially in our community over uk um, I get emails from a lot of moms or a lot of, you know, people that are actually maybe a victim of those addicted people in their family or circles. And because they are so in the thick of it, they can't see a way out. Mm. They don't even know about psychedelics or anything that they don't know that these are available for them. Mm -hmm. So their close ones are seeking this for them. Mm -hmm. So then it's, it gets really tricky because then we can't force anyone to come into it, right? It needs to be a natural way of calling or just seeking mm -hmm. to, to help themselves. But then another person involved in their process is not going to help that much. So it's quite tricky. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's one of the reasons why we're having this psychedelic conversation, right? Is to get yeah. the word out that people, no matter where they hail from, whatever they're struggling with, uh, do psychedelics have the potential to play a role in helping themselves understand their partner's addiction, their son or daughter's addiction? Does it help them uh, raise their level of education and awareness about how they can then approach their loved one and say, I've learned a little bit about, I heard this great conversation on psychedelics, and I think there might be some potential here. So really raising uh, our collective awareness and education and that actually feeds that idea of being called to the, you know, I just happened to stumble across this, this conversation and they were talking about psychedelics for families or for loved ones. And, and I, I think we should learn more about this. And all of a sudden, you know, you get connected to this and get connected to that. And all of a sudden someone finds themselves uh, having prepared thoroughly, hopefully to have a psychedelic experience and it changes the, the course of their addiction or the course of their loved one's addictive process. Yeah, so I'm glad we're having this conversation because it helps. It does help raise that awareness. Absolutely, and that's why we are here as well now on the social media. Everywhere, continue reinforcing this conversation. That's wonderful. And for the community, again, psychedelics and recovery, do you have like pushbacks? I know it's kind of like sensitive, right? It's still very much sensitive. We need to be very sort of calm and uh, mature about these and... Um, Especially now, one of my biggest struggles or challenges is talking to people who already carry a lot of heavy stigma from the past. Mm -hmm. And I see it's more prevalent in the US than Europe for some reason. Mm -hmm. I, when I speak to a lot of folks from the US, 
they tend to have a lot more negativity or stigma because of what happened in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So it's a really sort of like tricky water still, isn't it? And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Again, I know the education piece is really important, but what are you guys doing in order to, um, if someone's like pushing back or criticizing or, you know, not very kind? Right. So there, uh, to me, there's two groups of people. When it comes to this, the general public, you're correct, in the United States, it's surprising to me, and it shouldn't be surprising, that there's still a tremendous amount of stigma around psychedelics. So you think of LSD and you think of people jumping out windows or, you know, just crazy parties and all kinds of weird stuff happening with psychedelics and, and LSD in particular, but, you know, mushrooms. And so there is a lot of stigma still associated. And there's a lot of hype right now. And so there's there's the risk of actually perpetuating some of the stigma because there's so many hyper-enthusiastic people around psychedelics, which kind of, you know, in an attempt to sort of normalize it and integrate it into mainstream culture, it actually, you know, can perpetuate the stigma. And then you have the people in traditional, um, the traditional addiction treatment world or the traditional uh, recovery groups where they see a drug is a drug is a drug. And if you change your mood by using a drug, then you're just um, perpetuating your addiction. So there's a lot of stigma even in uh, traditional recovery groups or treatment uh, agencies, treatment programs, that any drug use is unacceptable. Um, And so, you know, to, to break down that stigma, we just have to sort of, again, continue to build community, raise education awareness, and and have people share their experiences. If people share their personal experience of how these medicines, these experiences have have helped them, yeah. and, and more so, I think, like you were saying, I just want to emphasize again and again and again, like the psychedelic drug, the medicine itself, the experience itself is just one tool in a much, much larger process of change. Yeah. And, you, and you know that, and I know that. So we, we, can, we can bring the drug, the medicine front and center and say, this is what the drug does, this is how it acts on the brain. This is yeah. my, my, my spiritual experience with this medicine, uh, life-changing thing. But really, what is the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Right. And you know, as long as we're highlighting that as well, like these are the, thing, these are the ways in which my life has changed. I read books more now, I spend more time in nature. My meditation practice has, has really grown tremendously. I've, I've met so many really cool people and developed such wonderful community of people I stay in touch with. So yeah. not so much the medicine itself. And, and again, the question is like, how often does somebody need to use psychedelics in order to stay connected to themselves, to nature, to other people, to um, support their recovery process? And that's different for everybody. Some people use microdose on a regular basis. Some people just have one journey uh, a year. Uh, some people just have one experience and it changes their lives forever and they don't feel a need to have another experience. So it's really diverse and, and it's individual, I think. I love that. And thank you for speaking to that. I also want to reinforce this is a very individual journey for everybody. Um, I always share my stories, not directly, but here I feel called to share about my retail addiction. So uh, I had a very severe retail addiction as long as I remember from a very young age. And it was the, the masculine um, San Pedro, actually, San Pedro experience that I had. It was like an 18 hour long experience where that after that experience, everything changed for me. So, but like you said, the medicine only showed me the issue in a really coherent and amplified way that I couldn't ignore. And it, it showed me that it, it could lead to far more detrimental future. 
And from that, I took an action, just like you said. So now we get the message. Now you understand the issue on in your bones, I call it. Before we can read, we can do therapy, we could do all those things, but there's something that changes when it's the right timing, the right container, the right processes, and the holding was really important for me. And something changed in my bones. And after that, the work began actually. So it wasn't that I, I was healed, that's it, done. Mm -hmm. In a way it was, but then going home after, how do I now bring this experience home? Mm -hmm. And how do I now work with this understanding? So what I did, I created accountability around me. I stopped going to malls. And if I was to have a coffee, I'd make sure it's a, it's a boutique coffee rather than somewhere a shopping mall. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I did so many things and I would actively ask someone, if you see me going into a shop, please pull me back. Mm -hmm. Seriously, it, it was like that. And it, it had to be reinforced and reinforced till I learned and then relearned. Mm -hmm. And let go of that. Yeah. So it was it was a process again. Yeah. yeah. So these are the things that I'd like to talk because people think I will take the medicine and I'll be healed. I'll go home. I'll be a different new person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't always work that way. In some cases, sure, people have a white light, you know, chain transformative thing. Yeah. But it really uh, having an experience that is a catalyst that then points the way towards these other changes that you were able to make in your life. It's it's yeah. really really amazing. Yeah, it was it was hilarious. Even with my mom, if we if we were to go shopping, I said, "Pull me back! Like, don't let me go anywhere. Just pull me back." Mm -hmm. And it was really hilarious, but it was liberating. Mm -hmm. It was also uh, I connected with her in a different way. That way, mm -hmm. it was not like this weird energy, you know, escape and go and do secret shopping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You no, no more hiding. No more. Right, right. No more. understand it. Scheming and maneuvering. Right. Yeah. Addiction yeah. is 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 incredibly detrimental. So yeah. But yeah, that was my. Thank you for sharing the hair. Yeah, so awesome. one of the reasons I really appreciate your community and your work and everything you bring, because I see the value from my own experience, what this could mean to the world and to society. Yeah, yeah. I like to. I like being here at this conference, honoring Roland Griffiths, the wonderful researcher from Johns Hopkins, and you know his seminal study on the mystical experience from psychedelic from psilocybin, and his you know, take home message and, and message to all people who are interested in this area is that the three most fundamental things that he has discovered that have come out of his research on psychedelics is the interconnectedness of all things and how we're all connected and how precious things are, how meaningful and precious things are. And that there's something about living this life that has a very meaningful and true aspect to it that we must sort of recognize the the meaning and the truth and what we're all experiencing. And that, you know, I hear that in your story is that, you know, this this mescaline experience, this San Pedro experience, you know, had all those components to it. And then you were able to take that with you and see how that was going to apply in your day-to-day -day life. And it ab absolutely has. It's, it's amazing to see. So I like to see the the real lived experience of some of the research that, you know, has brought us so far to even having this conversation, having this conference here, you know, coming, you know, verified in the research. I don't need it verified in the research. I know from personal experience, you know, from personal experience, but it's nice when science and spirituality or science and personal stories come together very harmoniously and just reinforce the same message. It's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. Really appreciate that. Okay, lastly, as we come to the end of our conversation, what would you like to say to our community across the pond? I know we have a global international community, but 
what would you like to say? Um, some of your projects, upcoming things. Um, is there anything you'd like you find value to share with them? Well, yeah, I think w whether you're in the UK or uh, listening to this, watching this video anywhere, you know, I think that it is important to recognize there are some risks associated with using psychedelics, that they aren't a cure-all. You can't just reset your brain and have your life changed forever. You know, it's a really a call to everyone to raise their awareness, to, to do their research and do their prep work and do a deep dive into understanding what all of this is about. There are some Phenomenal people in England, as you know, Imperial College has some great resources. Dr. Ben Sessa, who I would like to call a friend, has we've connected, and he's a, a great steward of this this area. Hopefully, you can have him on one of your conversations. And uh, I think it's just really important for us all to realize that while there are some risks, and we need to be aware of those risks, as long as we're taking appropriate precautions and we're trying to sort of have these experiences and have these conversations in nuanced and healthy ways. We can we can do a lot to destigmatize psychedelics and to help more people access them in safe ways and, and change their lives. I have a lot of hope for that, and I know it's a long road, and there'll probably be some some continued missteps along the way. But hopefully, things will continue to proceed in, in a healthy way. And I'm glad to be a part of that and part of that with you. Thank you so much. Brilliant. And how could they connect with you? Well, I'm very active on social media. It's a little bit of a social media addiction, I admit. Uh, I, it's, it's a bit overwhelming and does take away from my sense of presence and uh, connection sometimes. But ironically and paradoxically, I also do connect with a lot of people through social media. I've met a lot of people in person from social media, even at this conference who I'd never seen in person. Uh, so, you know, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Rick Barnett on Twitter, just all D-R-R-I-C-K-B-A-R-N-E-T-T. -T, and we'll put it in the... Sure. In the notes there. Um, so I, I love to connect over social media. That's the best way to reach out to me. Oh, amazing. Thank you for creating space and time for us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And Absolutely. all the best. I'm sure we'll be having you back yeah, on I, Zoom. I hope so. Uh, in the future, we'll love a returning guest. Great. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll have all of Dr. Uh, Rick's details and everything social media handles in the show notes. And hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Please do get in touch, drop a comment below, share your experiences, get in touch. I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.